0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up friends. I am thrilled to introduce you to Chasity Cooper. Chasity is an award-winning writer of all things wine culture. She is passionate about breaking down barriers when it comes to wine, and how black and brown people excel in the wine space. Chastity's passion and curiosity has landed her in Wine Enthusiast, Fine Pair, Food and Wine magazine, the Chicago Tribune, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and Imbibe magazine, including several creative partnerships with award-winning wine and spirit brands. Now sit back, grab a glass of orange wine, And get inspired. Cassidy, thank you so much for joining us today on Served Up. Of course. Thank you for having me. Wow. So I have been following your articles. Um, Thank God for LinkedIn. I don't even know how anybody connected before LinkedIn. I feel like it's just such a blessing that we can. Be able to connect um, through like interests, you know, through this wonderful platform on a professional level, even personal. I think it's okay to be personal. And I read a few of your articles. So please share with our listeners, how long have you been in kind of the wine industry in this wine world? When did you get started? Where did you grow up? I know you're a Chicagoan for life. I don't know. Were you born there? We want to know everything. So please share.
1: Sure. So I'm um, actually, I was born in Galveston, Texas. So I grew up in Texas until I was about eight years old and then moved um, to Evanston specifically. So where Northwestern is, that's the town I grew up in. Uh, but I live on the North side of Chicago. Now, like I said, I'm Chicago in end Chicago ends. And um, with wine, I, I initially kind of got bitten by the wine bug about 12 years ago. I was on a study abroad trip in Spain and I remember going to the winery. I was about twenty one yeah I was twenty one at the time, and I was like, "Oh, I can legally drink in this country. This is awesome. like they all like you know Spaniards drink wine like that is their thing and I was just so enamored by the wine tasting experience I had had, and I was like, "There's something here I don't know yet, but you know we'll revisit it sometime um came back, graduated uh from Syracuse, and then Moved to DC, and so at that time there was a little show on ABC that it started called Scandal. So I was like, I'm not a fixer like Olivia Pope, but I live in DC. I love wines. So I started doing this um, when Instagram was fairly new on Instagram, where I would like take a picture of my wine glass and the bottle, and like give a little description. And so I started doing that back in 2012, and unbeknownst to me, that would kind of pave the way for me becoming like the wine friend amongst my friend group uh, becoming just interested about learning more about fermented grape juice. Um, While I was in DC, I worked briefly for a wine shop. And then I moved to New York in 2017. And that was when the education uh, for me started. Uh, All throughout there, I've always loved writing. I've loved writing since I was a little girl. And um, just to make extra money from like, you know, around 2014, 2015, I started freelance writing. Um, having a couple of friends who work for different publications was nice. I was like, Hey guys, I have an idea. Like how do I break into freelance writing? They're like, Oh, okay. Like here's an assignment. So that started for me about 2014 and the world's just collided being able to write about wine, um, just being curious by, I think my curiosity still really fuels that interest um, in wine journalism. And I would say probably around it was really around 2020 where my wine writing took off. Granted, I'd been writing about wine here and there for a couple of publications, but it was the summer of 2020. Of course, we're all inside. Uh, we all are just watching the news and seeing what's going on um, across the country as far as um, protests about um, you know racial injustice in our country. And so at that time, everyone's like, "Hey, we're looking for you know black wine writers or whatever industry." It was. And I was like, well, that's me. So might as well, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. And since then, um, it's really just opened a lot of doors for me to travel, for me to talk to so many different types of people in the industry to meet um these types of people. And I'm I'm so excited to see where it takes me next. Um, I love that you said if I wanted to promote my book, that's definitely a goal. I definitely want to write a book in the mm-hmm. near future. And so It's been a wild ride, but I'm still finding myself rather curious about wine and wanting to um, talk about it in a way that's relatable to everyone, not just those of us in the industry, but the everyday mom who just wants to go to her favorite wine shop and pick up a new bottle of wine um, to enjoy with dinner. I mean, I, I
0: love your story. I, it's just, you know, we interview so many people in hospitality and, and it's so fascinating to hear everybody's stories because they're all very unique and different, but, but also very similar. And I feel like, you know, some of our friends and people will be like, oh, you sell alcohol, you know, and I, and I always dumb it down, but it is so fascinating because there's so much to learn, whether it's wine or spirits and um, especially wine. And I, I just have so many things I want to ask you, but go back. So when you were studying abroad in Spain, mm-hmm. where were you? Were you in Rioja or? So
1: I was in Madrid, but we had done um, two weekend trips, one to Andalusia and the other to Barcelona. And I think it was during the weekend trip to, I want to say Andalusia. Mm-hmm. And I know the name of, I think it's Bottega, it's, it's Bottega something that I always have to Google um, the name of the uh, winery. I actually have to go back to Facebook, find the picture and <laughs> then Google. But being able just to, I think Madrid for me, I've always loved Spanish culture. I love tapas. I love wine mm-hmm. and um, the language as well. Like I started speaking Spanish when I was in sixth grade and studying it and it just made sense to go to Spain. Um and and it's funny, I actually went back to Madrid for the first time in 12 years since I actually had left back in March. And I was having all these emotions. I was like, oh my gosh, this is where i started. I'm like, you know, um, we're touring and I had friends, I was I'd gone with friends and um it was their first time in Madrid. I'm like, yeah, yes. this is Plata Mayor and uh I was like, guys, like this is like Madrid. And they're like, Okay, I'm like, Yeah, I don't know. Like this is where it started for me. Um so, yeah, being able to just just to be in that culture and it was around the World Cup, which Spain ended up winning. So we were like leaving class. And go going. Argentina. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Argentina. That was uh, that's amazing. Love that. Um, but we like would leave class and go to the pubs and watch um, such a great culture. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So that's really what, what it kicked off for me. That is, um, that's so
0: wonderful. So as you've, you know, what I love again about wine and, and I always remember Eric Hemer. He, he works with us at Southern Glazers and, you know, he's like got a double masters, like master of wine and certified master and, and whatever. And, and he even says every time he dives into wine, he learns something new. Like you can never, no matter how many certifications you have, you'll never, you know, you're always going to learn something new and the wine world continues to change and innovate. Mm -hmm. Where do you find kind of like your, you know, I don't like to say your favorite wine because I, you know, you can't really answer that question, but like for me, I started my wine career in Italian wine. So like, that's my, that's my wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I can appreciate other wines, but I always go back to Italian. What about you? Like, wh- Where do you connect with the most? With that's wine? a
1: great question. Yeah. So I will say, when I worked for the wine shop, uh, they sold primarily Latin American wines, and so that was kind of like my foundation. When I really truly started learning more about wine, I was like, no, only you know, uh, Argentine wines. And then right next door to the shop was a French restaurant. So I remember one day after work. I'd gone with a friend and I was like French wine. And I was like what is what is this? But now oh my gosh, there's so many wineries here in the United States that are amazing, but if I had to pick like a country uh, to devote myself to, it's funny enough France. Like I spent so much time there this year that Yeah, like I,
0: Burgundy and Bordeaux. I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, like I was all over the all over the map, but I would absolutely say I love burgundy, I love chablis, I love bordeaux. I'm a right I'm a I'm sorry, I'm a left bank girl. <laughs> I mm-hmm. have to correct myself. But I do enjoy right bank wines as well. Um so I would have to say France. I know that's so cheesy and so, you know, classic, but there's so much coming out of that um that country and that region they're really um pushing forward some some new technologies and new innovations too.
0: Yeah, which I mean, same with like Italian, it's so interesting because you've got like the the traditional and actually even Spain, right? Like the mm-hmm. old world wine is becoming more new world. Mm-hmm. And then like the new world wines, when because now, you know, I'm I'm really immersed in um more of the American wines because of the portfolio I manage, right. which is fully family wine. <laughs> and um, and when I'm out in the vineyards, meeting the winemakers, they're all trying to get more old world style, right? Like Mm -hmm. higher acidity, more terroir based and, and all of this. And yet when you go to like the old world, they're trying to look at how to modernize and innovate their winemaking. So it's fascinating how, how they're going, you know, um, both directions. So Mm -hmm. I love that you say that being in wine and writing I love that you say that because I feel like when I first started selling wine, especially Italian wine, I ha- I knew nothing about Italian mm-hmm. wine, and it's very complicated. I started blogging and write, it just, and I think it was a way for me to learn. You know, tell tell me a little bit about what interests you about writing, and and what are you trying? To, what's the message you're trying to get out as you write? As you write?
1: Absolutely. So it's it's funny you mentioned blogging because I think that was definitely the entryway for me. Um, I was writing about just being a millennial living in DC back in 2012. And then 2016, I was like, yeah, it's time to like, brand myself as a wine expert. Um, But writing for me, especially I love long form. I love interviews. I love profiles. I think um, the written word is still so very powerful. Um, Yes, we have Instagram and Twitter and all these other um, outlets that we can connect with one another. But being able to sit down, whether you're reading on a um, a Kindle or you're reading an article on your computer or even a book, um, that's just such a powerful way to me to be able to learn and absorb information. And so when it comes to writing, I just want pe- people to, one, be able to see themselves. Um, so whether I'm writing about NBA athletes who have gotten into wine or I'm writing about you know, a single mom in New Orleans who started a uh, a wine brand just because she was interested in it. I think there are so many different stories and anecdotes that are just not even, you know, across the world, but here in the United States that um, I want people to be able to see themselves and be like, okay, they did it. I can do it too. Um, and then selfishly, I just like being able to try different ways of communicating with people. So whether I'm writing to um, you know those within the trade or I'm writing to you know the everyday consumer, I think that's an interesting challenge for me to be able to push myself as a writer, just to be able to, to stretch in and think about how I can play with words and play with different phrases and and introduce people to new ways of thinking about wine. Um, so I would say it's it's twofold for me, but really it's it's to tell a story and to really feel people make people feel that they're a part of it as well.
0: I love that. I so love that because you're right. I mean, you you write to the trade. I think that's when I first saw you it was definitely a trade focused mm-hmm. article because I could tell, you know, it was just like very boom, 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 professional, right. you know. But when you deliver that, or if like one of my friends write, like they they wouldn't have an idea like what mm-hmm. we're talking about, It'd be like right. way over their head. But they're the consumer. They're the ones that actually spend the money on wine, mm-hmm. right? So. I think, you know, I love that, that you consider that depending on who the audience is and, and relatability is the biggest thing. And I think so many people are intimidated with wine. I mean, if Bridget was on here, she would ask the same question. So in her honor, I'm going to ask the question because <laughs> she is like the spirit side and I'm the wine side, you know, okay. of, of our little um, duo here. But her thing is, is, Wine is so complicated and it's intimidating. And when you go into a grocery store, how do you know what to buy? What Ooh, would you that's suggest? A, that's a big question. You know, I mean, you like wine. Yeah. You, know? you go in there and there's just rows and rows, <laughs> rows <of wine>. and <laughs> rows. And like, how do you, how, what would, you, what would be your recommendation for Bridget?
1: For Yes. So for Bridget, I would say. Really think about what you like. So if you like Pinot Grigio, if you like Sauvignon Blanc, there are usually signs that are, you know, noting, okay, this is where this is, this is where that is. So definitely go to go to what you like. I never want to deter anyone from their own tastes or or, the, or things that they enjoy. I'm going to go there first. Then something I still do, regardless of like where I am on this wine journey, I look at labels. I look at labels. I look at price. I'm like, okay, I have $20 to spend today. What's going to be the most uh, cost effective, but also the most delicious. Um, So looking at the label, looking at the cost, and then also look at the country. So usually nine times out of 10, the country is either on the front or the back label. So if you know that you like Sauvignon Blanc, from New Zealand, maybe try a soft blanc from Chile or a soft blanc from California to kind of switch it up a little bit. Um so I, w- I would say go to what you like, look at the cost, look at the label, check out the country, and then go from there. And then if you get home and you're like, this is amazing, I'm gonna go back and buy this again, awesome. If you don't like it, don't blame me, but I will say <laughs> figure out um, you know, how you can kind of um don't let the wine go to waste. Use it in a cocktail. Uh, freeze it in some ice cubes, and maybe you know, pour your favorite spirit over it—so gin, vodka, um, whiskey—if you want to get a little frisky. Um, so you know, find a new way to to reinvent that that taste. Even if you didn't like it by itself, you can definitely like jazz it up. Make a sangria in the winter time; those are always good. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Definitely go with what you like, and then expand from there.
0: I love that. I mean, wine could never go to waste, right? Because if all else fails, you cook with it. I mean, exactly. you make a great sauce, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much that you can do. And and then what's the mold wine? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. any wine would be good mold with, you know, whatever else you add to it. And sangria is always brilliant. Yes. So you know, unless it's corked, and then you can go back to the shop and say this is corked. But I don't know; it's <laughs> it's kind of hard to figure. You know, to know what what cork is and what bad is. But right, yeah, that's that's really great advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find it fascinating. I mean, I, you've been writing about wine and and studying wine for all these years, and I think you know, as you mentioned during COVID with the social justice, you know, injustice uprise, racial injustice. That's actually how we started the podcast. I feel like mm-hmm. so many great, I mean, despite how horrible it was and and everything was with COVID and just everything that everybody went through, been through, it did bring out a lot of great opportunities and great conversations, right? Mm-hmm. With with everybody really focused on on really what matters. And um, making wine more inclusive, I think, was just something that was needed for so long. And I think Mm -hmm. people like you, people like me, and and just people that are maybe don't kind of fit the profile of, of wine experts or this wine culture that have come in. I think we've just been so passionate about it. And I'm not speaking for you, speaking for myself, that might not have thought so much about the the exclusivity of wine. I mean, I always knew when I go to the vineyards or the wineries, like I was different. I was the only one, but I didn't care. I was just so happy to be there and learn Mm. and, and taste. But I was always the one, like the Korean girl selling Italian wine, you know, and, and, you know, I was called different things and I was like Mm. in a nice way. But um, once all of this started coming out, I think we really started to like kind of peel back the onion and say, wait, this is a problem and it's not acceptable and it should be more inclusive, you know, and I have friends and, and, you know, throughout served up, we've interviewed so many different people that have like just been trailblazers of making this industry more inclusive, you know, whether it's for the bartenders or for marketing or or this and this, I would love to know from you, like, what do you feel like? wine culture, and let's just focus on America in the Mm -hmm. United States, because I do believe we have a lot of growing to do in regards to wine, right? As like when we think of comparable to other countries where wine is just innate part of life, Mm -hmm. we're still way behind, right? So where the wine culture is, like, I'd love to know from you, you know, where do you feel like it was, right? Like maybe when you first started in the wine industry versus pre-COVID, post-COVID, as far as where you want to be Absolutely. or where you want the wine industry to be?
1: When I came into the wine, when, when, when wine started to become a passion of mine, um, I remember one, one time I walked into a wine shop and I was just curiously looking around like, oh, this is nice. Like, look at all these bottles. And the person at the desk was like, um, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I'm just like looking around. Like, did I get help at that time? No, of course not. Because I'm obviously a young 20-something Black woman, like, strolling around a wine shop. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? So i was like, OK, I like dust that off. I would say at that time, wine still, even for me, seemed unattainable. It seemed just like out of reach. Um, it seemed like a thing that, and by this time, I, by, it was like four years in, I was still like, I was really getting into wine, but I know I had friends of mine who were like, yeah, I'm just re- drinking barefoot. And I was like, that's cool, but we're going to go to this wine bar and we're going to try something new. Um, so I would say in 2016, it definitely still felt a little bit of out of reach, but I was determined to just absorb it more. Pre-COVID, I was starting to see, you know, friends and family go to wineries, whether they were in Virginia or Maryland, uh, people travel out to Napa for fun. I'm like, oh, this is great. And family members are like, do you know about this wine brand? Nine times I've been, I already did. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's, we're we're starting to move forward. People are recognizing different brands. Of course um, you have, you know, black owned brands like McBride sisters and others um, that people are starting to recognize. I'm like, great, wonderful COVID hits. And then all of a sudden it's like this volcano roughs, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Like, I'm, you know, immersed in this wine scene and I'm just trying to figure out, okay, how do I, it it was a very interesting balance act because I'm, as a writer, I'm still trying to be observant and still trying to be mindful of how everyone else is feeling. But at the same time, I have to report and get the story. Um, So I was walking a very delicate line, especially when I'm talking to certain sources um, who had been experiencing injustice within this industry for decades. And so it was like, you know, talking to I'm I'm talking about people who I've been looking up to since I entered wine. I'm like, yo, like this, I'm kind of fangirling, but I'm also like, I'm sorry if I'm asking the same questions that everybody's asking right now. But I started to notice immediately, okay, you know, Black consumers like, yep, I deserve to drink XYZ and I deserve to travel here. And then you also have, um, you know, the industry in America be like, oh yeah, shoot, we kind of like, not forgot, but just weren't paying attention to black consumers. And that was before the pandemic too. Like, so it, it was a mixed bag of emotions. But I think now as we go into 2023, people are a little bit more confident about what they're drinking, you know, places they're traveling to, for wine specifically. And the industry's slowly but surely catching up. I think we like you said, we do have a lot of work to still do. Um, but there has been progress made since 2020.
0: I agree with you. I know that was like a total loaded question, but I, I think that that's, it is very similar. It's it's one thing to just be passionate about something and and feel that it is out of reach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, like I'm here to enjoy it and appreciate it and I'm grateful for it, but I don't really belong, you know? Mm-hmm. and And I feel like, you know, going through that time, it's like, no, I do belong, and I deserve to be here, and I have every right to be here and be a part of this, just like everybody else. I tell that to my son, I'm like, remember, if anybody asks you anything, you deserve to be here, you know, we're here because exactly. I think so much of my career and and even my life, it was always like, "Oh, I'm here, I'll be quiet, I'll be good. Thank you for letting me be here and share space. you know, I'm just very curious or I'm very interested and and you know, you get to sort. I don't know if it's age or time or what, but you know, I just know as time moves on, I'm like, no, I'm here, I belong here, and I'm staying exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know, I'm sure you've heard all kinds of stories, and and I think they're all out there. And I think everybody, you know, not everybody, but the more we talk about situations, I I feel like the more, you know, we can kind of go through the motions and and really feel and and see things from different perspectives. I'd love to ask you only because we recently interviewed um, a a master sommelier, who's a good friend of mine. And just to get, you know, their side of the story with kind of everything that went down. Are you a part of the court of master sommelier? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that, that whole, whole thing, thing.
1: <laughs> yeah so I am not I actually um I am gonna be starting I I, I started my education through the wine and spirit education trust yep so W-set. that's that mm-hmm. yeah W said so that's the path I've been on I'm actually starting my diploma next month Ooh. Okay. I know um it's not real yet but it's starting to feel real mm-hmm. um when that happened I I remember kind of when I started getting into wine watching Som and of course just watching it like, you mean to tell me like there's only one black person who's like going after becoming a master psalm and like why? And then it was in the back of my mind, but to learn um, you know, from different individuals who had gone through that program through the writing I'd done in twenty twenty, um I was shocked but not surprised and the lack of accountability that the court was willing to take was just also it it was very loud and it was it was just like okay well clearly I won't be taking that path because I I understand how y'all feel about me and people who look like me and I I mean I respect those who have um, you know stepped down from the court of master sommeliers and um decided to renounce their um their title that's huge um because you think about how much work that goes into Oh my god.
0: I that was my much. first thought was just all my my friends and colleagues that I mean I went through I I went I got certified you know mm-hmm. I mean thankful for for my company they they really support that and and also did wine set um mm-hmm. but so many of my customers at the time and my clients, you know, when, when I was in sales, all my Psalm friends like devoted their lives. I mean, and so I, I know what you're going through to be about to start. Your talk. I mean, it's, it takes every moment mm-hmm. free that you have to study. and And it's so much work that I just really felt bad for, for everybody that's gone through it, that's now like, you know, it's something you put your life's work into, and now you're not really proud of the organization sure. that it's become. But then also all the people that have tried or wanted to be through, you know, go through it and have been held back because of whether it's their gender or their race. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I feel like um, that part is, is really sad, you know, for, yeah. for so many, because it's such an, it was such an influential organization that
1: that's disappointing. Yeah. And and even in thinking about that, I think now you kind of have to turn that on its head and like, okay, well, that's not the only way that I can, you know, become a Psalm or learn more about wine. Like, yeah, that was probably when you think about the world of wine, like you have to go to the court, you have to get that very I mean pins are great don't get me wrong I'm very looking forward to getting my diploma pin when the time comes but there's a certain prestige and a certain just like oh my gosh like you're a master psalm or you're a master of wine that's amazing um so now I just hope like those who are still passionate about wine who want to pursue um the highest level that exists aren't completely deterred. to hope they understand that there are other ways in which to achieve that. Um, you know, and I really do hope that someday mm-hmm. that the court will just reimagine itself. I know that they have, um, I'm pretty sure that I think their board chair is a woman. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully that there's going to be some change that happens. And if not, then, you know, people can go other, other places and get their education. But yeah, it was just, it was disappointing. It was, it was really disappointing. And I really did, you know, I I hated seeing people feel triggered by that um, and Mm -hmm. not heard and, or or felt unseen because they decided not to take accountability for their actions and organization.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the big, you know, gray cloud is that All of this came out, you know, there's two sides. There's one side that says, no, we had been working on all of that, but it hasn't. But nobody's talking about that. You know, I think what's even sad is that it took the New York Times to come out with this big article for anybody to pay attention. But I think the feedback that I'm hearing and, and what I feel like I'm hearing from you and from somebody that's, you know, been through it, that was actually accused, vindicated, but then the court didn't help them let everybody know that they were vindicated. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So mm -hmm. their careers are totally ruined and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's about the accountability, you know, and if somebody, and I think that's what we learned with a lot of organizations and, and, you know, people that um, people and companies really coming out and saying, okay, you know, we were wrong, or we didn't do things the right way, or we were complicit, or we were this, and this is what we're going to do to fix it. And I feel that we haven't seen that from the court, from the court. Right. I mean, there was a new board that was put in place. So like you said, I think the chair, the head of the board is a woman. And and I think they've got like a whole new team, but we haven't heard anything from them. It's kind of like, okay, we're going to change up the board and then just bury our heads in the sand and like move on, Um, which doesn't, you know, really do anything for you know, for them. And, um, but you're right. You don't need a certification. You don't need a pin to say that you're passionate and you're knowledgeable about wine. And what I like to tell everybody is when I was selling, um, some of the fine Italian wine in Miami, um, in South beach, and I had all my customers, My number one customer, George Hawk, if you're listening, I mentioned him a couple of times. (laughs) He had no certifications. He never had any formal training in wine. And he sold the most wine out of, I mean, like he would sell. So, and everything was ham sold because it was Italian. Nobody knew anything about the wines, but he worked at one of the finest Italian restaurants um, here in South beach. And he sold so much. And I'm like, in the end, when you look up sommelier, it's somebody who sells wine right mm-hmm. so like you can have all these certifications but if you can't sell wine you know or like be able to get people interested in trying wines you know then the certifications you know aren't going to do anything so i think really just um being out there and and learning and and sharing the love of wine is important so how do you do that so i know that you've got your own company Mm-hmm. Um when did it tell us about your company when you started it and and I know that your goal is to make wine more inclusive to people of color to just everybody how- How are ways that you do that through your company? Tell us a little bit more about that
1: yeah, so during the pandemic um I like many people, I was working a full time job but also since I'm in the house, like, what else can I do? How else can I share my passion for wine? So about maybe three or four months before um, the pandemic started, I was doing in-person tastings. And so I was like, you know, friends who knew that I loved wine and I could like talk about it in front of people they were like, oh, can you come to, you know, this group or can you come do this for, um, you know, my group of friends? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I would like, you know, do up a tasting sheet and, present the wines and go through the five S's. Then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, snap, we have to do all of this virtually. And so that really, um, for me, is what started um, the passion of still being able to teach people about wine, but obviously on this platform, we know and love is Zoom. So I would say it was September 2020. I was like, yeah, things are, there's a little bit of an uptick. And I think there's a there's something here Um, in addition to my writing that I could, um." Do in order to keep uh, educating people about wine, and so um part of the the company that I've created is doing these in person um, now back to in person tastings. it had been so long since I've done one um, but in person tastings, virtual tastings. um I've done consulting for small wine brands, um, you know whether it's helping uh, someone design a, a wine program or a beverage program uh, for their business. Um, rec- uh, giving recommendations uh, for, I- I've kind of done it all. Um, so kind of like this wine consultant, I would say that's what my my company does is really just wine consulting, uh, but in a very fun, enjoyable and relatable way. And um, yeah, I-, I hope that opens doors for me to want to do other things in the near future. But yeah, it's just really, it goes back to just the the consumer, the person who um, wants to throw a baby shower or a wedding shower, a bridal shower for their friend. And they're like, we can't go anywhere. So can you host this thing for us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's so cute. Um, or what I did a couple months ago, um, a friend of a friend was turning 45 and she hired a chef and she wanted me to pair all the wines, uh, with food. And that was exceptional too. I'd never, and I really did feel like a Psalm in that moment. Cause I'm like serving the wine as the dishes are coming out, but it's not in the, you know, formal restaurant setting. And so um, those are just a couple of ways that um, I'm hoping just to continue to build up my company um, and make just wine um, relatable, attainable um, and enjoyable for for everyone.
0: Yeah. I mean, what a better way to, you know, I can't think of a better way to, to bring people together and, and create those experiences, right. With, Mm -hmm. with having, wine understanding how it goes with different foods and and just it's a conversation starter like you can never have a boring meal or a bad date or anything you know or bad family gathering if you have good wine right very true true. (laughs) you have to be with your family over the holidays make sure you have good wine and everything will be fine (laughs) yes so out of that, like, what are your favorite, like, wine and food pairings? Like, what what are some of your favorites? Ooh,
1: I love that you asked this question, because I've been on, like, a pairing kind of trip for the last few weeks. So um, one of the more interesting ones I've had recently, so my sister had baked some macaroni and cheese, and I had a bottle of orange wine, and I was like, let's see if this goes. And... It did. Maybe. Yeah, it it did because of like the cheeses that she used and the tart tanginess of the wine. So I love baked mac and cheese with orange wine. Um, if oh, my I'm God, really- that sounds so
0: good. I was we had lunch at Marcus Samuelson's. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to talk about restaurants, but anyway, um, their mac and cheese looked amazing. But I did have a glass of. um McBride Sisters, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. So mm-hmm. anyway, I digress. Sorry. Like, the <laughs> mac and cheese and the orange wine sounds amazing because, the or, and you know what, I haven't, I've been hearing so much about orange wine. And I know when I sold Italian wine vinifera, we had some wines that were orange. So can you explain orange wines to our listeners and what makes it an orange
1: wine? Sure. So no, no oranges are harmed in the making of orange wine, mm-hmm. just to start there. but it's similarly made as rose is. So Rose uses uh red wine grapes or black grapes. Um, there's a gentle pressing um in order to get the the color out of the grape. And then uh depending on the uh the color that the winemaker is looking to achieve, um, if they want something really deep and red or a really deep pink, they'll let the skin sit with the juice for, you know, as uh, short as six hours, as long as 36 hours. And so similarly with orange wine, you use white wine grapes. So let's say a Pinot Gris, a Pinot Grigio, whether you're, you're looking to, you know, get a really deep orange wine. Um, Riesling is another um, white wine grape that people can use to make orange wine. Um, you, you press the the grapes and you allow the skins to have contact with the juice. And again, how long you want that um, those those things to kind of jam together. And then once you reach the, the color of your of your desire, you discard the skins and keep moving forward with the winemaking process. So that's really um, the, the grape skins are what give the color to the wine.
0: I love that. So it's like the equivalent of rosé, but it's like a white wine rosé. Exactly. And I knew that because we had, um, we sold this and I don't even remember the, the winery anymore, but it was a Pinot Grigio and it was like more of an orange color. And I just mm-hmm. thought it was so bizarre. Cause I'm like, wait, it's Pinot Grigio. It's a white grape. And it's like, well, you know, if you let the Pinot Grigio ripen later, and then you have that long, it's actually not white. And that's why yeah. it's called Pinot Grigio, like mm-hmm. gray. So it does have right. color and that's what gives it to it. So that's great. What's another pairing that you like? And I love that you said that because it's just so different.
1: Orange yeah. wine, mac and cheese. Um, orange wine mac and cheese. Um, I I will tell you a pairing that did not work the first time I had it. So, I had I love sparkling wine. Like if that's like my go to any day of the week, I will you know pop something open. Um, I was like, oh okay, sparkling. It was a sparkling rosé, and growing up, I've always loved spicy food being from Texas. I just, I, I, it's, it's in my veins. So I was like, Oh, I have some Flamin' Hots, which is like my favorite after um, school snack growing up. Mm-hmm. I was like let's do sparkling rosé Flamin' Hots. Do not do sparkling wine and, and, and Flamin' <laughs> Hots ever. Cause it just, it, it felt just very bad on my palate, but on the other hand, I did try it again. I love flaming Hot. Like that is like my go-to chip choice. Mm-hmm. Sweet Riesling. So like obviously mm-hmm. the the sweeter, but you still need a little bit of acid. Nothing that's gonna just make your your palate you know feel like fireworks. Um, I would say yeah, a sweet Riesling and Flamin' Hot. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean I love French fries as well. So something sparkling, a fried tater tot a fried piece of chicken something fried and bubbles chef's kiss the best yes
0: (laughs) I love that fried with um with bubbles is good but I can imagine like you know what what you're saying like a when I think of like a bubbly rosé I've been loving um the Lucien Albrecht rosé brood Mm -hmm. which is all Mm -hmm. pinot um pinot noir and also Pinot Noir Rose and having that with something spicy, I can imagine like my palate exploding. <laughs> so thank you for reminding me because I'm always eating spicy and, um, yeah. and you know, what else goes good with spicy is like a Dolcetto, um, mm-hmm. like an Italian Dolcetto. I remember being at like this little Cuban cafe and having hot sauce Ooh. and drinking the wine. And I'm like, Oh my God, that mm-hmm. that's a really good blend. Do you like dessert wines? Any dessert wines that you like?
1: Yes. So I actually spent some time in Portugal back in September and I have a love affair with port, um, port and blue cheese. Um, if I'm like out or if I'm at home, I'm like, I need something sweet. Um, when I really don't need anything sweet, um, a little bit of port, a little bit of cheese or blue cheese, something funky, something sweet um is very satisfying. I would say port, both port, uh ruby port and white port are are delicious, although I look at white port more as like a an aperitif, a pre-dinner cocktail if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and uh Sauternes, I haven't had in a while, but man, when I was in France, the first time I went to France in 2019, um I had a 1987, I was like a dinner. And I was like, wait a minute, what is this? Like, why did it taste so good with this chocolate mousse tart thing? So it depends on the day, but if I'm feeling like kind of dark and mysterious, but I want a little funk, pork and blue cheese. Um, but then of course, something, you know, acidic and kind of refreshing, but a little silky, sauterne and like a chocolate mousse, something, something lighter on the chocolate side.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> amazing. I could talk to you about wine and, and food all day. All day. <laughs> um and as we're wrapping up, there's like I, I feel like I have so many things I want to ask you, but with all of your 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 recent interviews and the and the different things you're at, what is either a winemaker, a winery or a supplier that you feel is is kind of setting the bar and and doing things the right way for the future to make wine more inclusive?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, When I think about my most recent interview, um, I did a story for Anscape, which is formerly The Undefeated, um, about NBA legend Dwayne Wade and his wine company. They recently Mm -hmm. um, wrapped up for the year 2022 uh, an Epicurean tour. So they went to different Black-owned establishments across the country Um, and did basically like food and wine dinners or food and wine tastings. Um, So I thought that was really just a different way to expose people, not just people of color, not just black people, but people who are just foodies and who love wine to a new way of enjoying the two together. Um, So I think that that's been really cool and innovative. I will have to say, um, I'm actually working on a story right now. I I spent some time in Bulgaria um, back in October. And I like when I got the invite, I was like, where's Bulgaria? So I had to pull out the map and find that. Um, but it's interesting because Bulgaria was one of the leading wine-making countries back in like the 70s and 80s. And then, you know, of course, the thing called communism happened and, and broke off. And it's been interest it was interesting to just kind of see them talk about how they're trying to reemerge or reintroduce themselves into the world wine market. But it's, it was really interesting to see how um, they're using just old world methods and um, still staying true to, to themselves as an old world winemaking country, but also forward thinking like, okay, how can we pair some of these wines with um, some of these new Michelin star Um, restaurants that are in Sofia. Um, So I would shout out Bulgaria as a country. Um, Let's see, other places. I mean, there's so many places in the United States that are just like, and not just California. Like I I know they're always gonna give California its props, but uh, Michigan in Traverse City, um, they're doing some really cool stuff. The Finger Lakes um, down in Texas Hill Country um, and even in Georgia. So about 90, Uh, About 90 minutes from Atlanta um, is the uh, Dallanega AVA, which is fairly Mm -hmm. new. Um, And I know this because I just wrote a story on it. But um, it's interesting, like, who thinks about wine outside of Atlanta? Like, Mm -hmm. that's something new for people to check out. So I think wineries, urban wineries are making it more. Um, accessible. And then I'd I'd be remiss to not mention my hometown of Chicago. Um, Chicago Winery is a spot that just opened recently, and they have a whole facility um, on uh, their grounds that is making wine um, and and really exposing the city to that part of winemaking. And, you know, they have a restaurant, they have a tasting room, um, and they're not the first in the city. Obviously, there's other places, but um, like city winery and um some other um smaller wine uh shops and wine brands and wine companies and meateries um which are really cool um but it's it's yeah i mean and a lot of people don't know what meat is but i'm sure if you tried it you would love it um so a lot is happening i think that's the overwhelming thing about being a wine writer people want you to check out everything and write about everything and i'm like guys wait i'm only one person and then sometimes I end up coming back to those things, which is really fun. So, yeah, it, it, it's been a wild ride this year just to see how much stuff is emerging and how many things are changing and what's evolving and and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is right. It's overwhelming because everybody's trying something new. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be a part of this, this new way of working, this inclusivity. And I think it's it is also very interesting to see, like, which ones last, right, mm-hmm. like which concepts last like who who's really committed to doing to to really moving the industry forward in the right way and and who is just doing it to do it, and then it just kind of dies out because it right. it takes commitment, it takes work. But I love that you know your first um, thought was Dwayne Wade and and his wine. Piece. It's funny I I just saw it lit on the wine list that he went out and did the wine dinners because that's something mm-hmm. like as somebody that started in in sales with wine and now I'm you know more corporate and and managing from a national level. I feel like there's not enough of these like wine dinners and wine tastings anymore. And in a different way, because, you know, like I, these old, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, I don't want anybody to take it in the wrong way because there was always a lot of learning and I was very appreciative of the experience, but they were like drawn out boring long dinners where there's like one person that looks like every other person that's talking about the wine. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's not engaging and it's not entertaining. Whereas going out there and and connecting with the community and tasting and drinking wine together is just something totally different. And I'm glad yeah. that he was doing that and he, he went out there and did that.
1: Yeah. And I would even add outside of food and wine, you're having experiences. A friend of mine, Jermaine Stone, um, has been doing his like uh wine series across the globe, really. Like he's been doing these pop-up in um, hip-hop and wine. So you're thinking about, okay, like, yeah, food and wine, cool, but like, uh, you know, matching a, a biggie song to a particular style of wine, and I know um, him and a couple other songs that he's cool with, they've, they've done uh, different events across the country, and it's been really cool, again, to see non-traditional ways of people being able to enjoy wine, but also learn at the same time. So I think the American wine culture is going to look vastly different compared to old and new world um, countries. It's not just going to be, you know, at the dinner table, but it's going to be at a concert or at a kickback or, or something where people are enjoying themselves fully and not feeling kind of restricted to one type of way of enjoying wine.
0: Yeah. I love that wine and hip hop and having good music. And it doesn't have to just be these like, drinks that you don't even know what's in it and the next morning your like head is cracking right it's like nice wine i i had a friend i have a friend um who's a sommelier and she did a whole like wine and music pairing she loves to do like these out of the box things and i think Mm -hmm. that you know it's this generation right it's our generation it's your generation that's really um going to change the future of wine and I think everything you're doing is so wonderful and Thank you. it sounds like the future might include a book
1: so we'll have to have you back on to talk about yeah it's it's the future is you know it's the sky's the limit so I'm just excited to to really just tap into some new things and and try new ways of of connecting people with wine in in a way that feels familiar. To them, so yeah, I'm I'm excited and like you said earlier, there's never wine is ever evolving, ever changing. So I feel like I'm never ever gonna always know everything about wine, but I'm always going to be learning something new.
0: Yep, and you've got a thirst to learn, and I think yeah. that's the the biggest thing. Well, chastity, thank you so much for joining us today and Hi. sharing a bit of your story. Um, I know that there's so much more we can talk about and. We'll have to have you back on again and hear some more stories of where you where you go, because um, I'm sure you've got all kinds of things lined up. Um, yes. But thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you
1: so much. This was such an amazing chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Served Up
0: is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future
1: Served Up episodes. Cheers!